0: Morning. Listen, I know that we all might be getting a little bit tired at this point of pixel ministry, um, speaking to each other through camera lenses, but I got to tell you, I do look forward to this time every week where I get to connect with you to some degree. I want you to know I've also been praying for you a lot over the weeks and even this morning for God's encouragement um, for you and your family that God would grow you in this season, stretch you, but but also that you would just stay encouraged. I know disillusionment is amplifying and growing in the weeks as we move forward. So just that God would show you how good and how kind and how gentle and how strong and how thoughtful he is and that you would find deep encouragement in him. And I think this passage is gonna be a strong one for us today as we work through the book of Philippians. We're in the middle of this series called Joy in All Circumstances. So if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to go to Philippians 1, verse 27, and we're gonna work through um, 2.11 today. It's gonna be a good passage for us because we're gonna see how the gospel is going to interact with how, how heavily you and I hold our strongest opinions and our deepest convictions. You know, the gospel doesn't demand that we let go of all of our opinions and convictions. The gospel doesn't demand that You and I become this even, uniform, homogenous mix of robots that all sound the same and look the same. I think there's a struggle with the pandemic church right now, right? Distanced churches, which we are, distanced believers, we can still divide. We can still divide over our strong opinions and our strong convictions, and we're seeing it now. You're probably seeing it in social media every day. As tough as this pandemic has been, on businesses and on families. I've been caught saying, and I firmly believe that I think it's gonna be good for the American church, maybe even the global church. I think this pandemic is going to force us as believers to go back to the whiteboard and look and see what is mission critical for us today. I just think we're gonna come out of this stronger than we went in. I mean, what is mission critical for you? I doubt what you miss about our Sunday mornings is our coffee station. (laughs) You probably don't miss that very much. Um, Live teaching is probably not what you miss that much. When we sent out our form a couple weeks ago, one of the questions is, is what do you feel like you need more of right now? How how can we give you something more that you don't have? Teaching got 0%. 0% of you felt like you were having a lack of teaching. And of course, right? I mean, you can get teaching anywhere, anytime, and we're able to continue teaching through this, even on Sunday morning. But you do miss community. You miss that deep connection from one another. So listen, I see great opportunity, not just to spot what's mission critical, but to be stretched and for our foundations to get a little bit deeper. But the same opportunity I see, the enemy sees as well. He's gonna see the same open door as we do. And one thing that this pandemic is revealing right now is division in the church. Division. A very deep lack of unity. And unity is no small thing. There's great power in being united with others, with a common goal, with a common mind, and a common direction. Even gangs, thrive from unity. I was reading some of the LAPD's gang unit literature, and they talk about how the gang functions as not just an extension of the family, but kind of as a new family for people that grew up without a family, which makes sense. But it also proves what I've been saying, and that's that we crave unity. We were actually created to long for and to reach for unity, for connection, for place in a people that are all going one direction with one mind, with one goal. Now in typical groups or gangs or teams, there's usually a common denominator that scoops up a bunch of people and holds them together, right? Bike clubbers bike. If you don't have a bike nor care about biking, bike club will probably never be about you, right? All clubs or teams work that way but then there's the church which scoops up all of these diverse people with really nothing in common except for one thing the gospel the story of how god was good to us the story of god's gift to us not only becomes an extension of family it becomes our new family which is why you find jesus doing something that might have seemed a little bit peculiar back in the day but in luke 8 whenever he is Teaching a group of disciples, it was brought to his attention that mom and the brothers are outside and want a little bit of his time. They need a word with Jesus, and Jesus says this. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's you guys. This is the bigger family. Listen, we're united in Christ. United in Christ, interwoven. He is in us, And we are in him we preached on this earlier in the year before the pandemic how valuable being united in christ is for our salvation story and so if that's true if i'm in christ and christ is in me and we are interwoven then that means that if you yourself are a christian that means we're siblings we're siblings if you're watching this and you are in fact a Christian, doesn't matter where you're watching this from, that means that we are, I'm I'm either, I'm your brother in Christ. You might be my brother and my sister in Christ. And let me tell you, the enemy hates this new family, this new group with a single common denominator. The enemy hates it with a deep ferocity. In John 10, it says that the thief, which is the title given to the enemy in this passage, comes only to do three things, to steal from you, to destroy everything around you, and ultimately to kill. Now, the thief will do this to the church in three big ways I've been watching over the last couple months. One is the shepherd or the pastor or pastoral team will be struck and everybody flees. We hear Jesus say this that the shepherd will be struck and the flock will flee. We hear this in the New Testament he's actually referring to God striking him. He's quoting God from the Old Testament, from the book of Zechariah. So whenever God says, I will strike the shepherd and the flock will flee, that is Jesus quoting the Old Testament about himself, about how he will be struck on the cross and the flock will will wander off. But the principle moves through. The principle is a sound one in the fact that when pastors and pastoral boards come apart, a lot of times churches do as well. We've seen this, have we not? The pastor loses his job because he was a brute or because he cheated on his wife or because there was heresy or because he took some money or any number of things or the pastoral board just comes apart. The church just seems to wilt and move in different directions. Another way that we see the enemy destroy the church is he will bring wolves in who will devour the flock. In Acts 20, when Paul is addressing the Ephesian pastoral board, he says, listen, after I leave, fierce wolves are gonna come in, and they're not gonna spare anybody. They're gonna devour all of us. This is what Paul is doing. He's warning them to keep a watchful eye. And you need to know, as a church, that's one of the things that as pastors, we've covenanted with you, is that we will keep an eye on heresies. When wolves come in, we have to move fast, we have to move quick, because it's just as true today as it's ever been true. Those are two ways, but the easiest way that the enemy will destroy the flock of God is when the sheep turn in on each other and divide. That's easy. We all, when we allow our differences in opinions and convictions and traditions, when we allow those to rise above the common denominator of the gospel, we find ourselves holding very tightly to the wrong things. We take secondary or non-essential items, and we move them to the top shelf, and we take the primary or the essential things about us and who we are, and we move them to the bottom shelf. We swap everything. We find ourselves in a church divided, and a church divided makes it very easy for the enemy to come in and destroy. You know, a long time ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fiction piece. And it is about a senior demon, Screwtape, uh, mentoring a younger demon on how to basically destroy a Christian that they've called the patient, right? And this was a part of the mentor's direction and counsel for the younger demon. He says this, they, meaning Christians, all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. And listen, that's the common denominator I'm talking about. That's the bond, the glue that holds us together. But he goes on. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. With a difference. But Luke, aren't we allowed to be different? Sure. right. But different doesn't mean divided, does it? I mean, sometimes we have differences that are traditional or liturgical. And all the word liturgy means is just the form and the style of worship, right? But sometimes our differences are are very basic like that. They're just very traditional and liturgical. We grew up differently, right? I mean, I don't wear a robe when I preach on Sundays. I'm not hating on people that do. I just don't. I'm not a robe guy. I don't even tuck my shirt in 95% of the time, unless it's like Easter or something like that. We have chili cook-offs. Where we we talk trash on each other, we have pie contests. We don't have a, a Sunday night service, but we do have missional communities. These are traditional or strategic or liturgical differences that we have with other believers. Sometimes our differences are theological, though, right? It goes down into the doctrine of what we believe and we don't baptize babies. We don't have a confessional booth. We center everything on the gospel. We don't preach moralistic how-to sermons. We lead our church by a pastoral board, not one single pastor. Now, when it comes to building with other believers or partnering or collaborating with other churches or other believers, when it comes to the primary issues, if they're alike, then we find it to be easy to do that. And sometimes we can rally whenever the secondary differences are very different. We won't budge on some things, we're happy to budge on others, that's what this means. Because some of these things that we differ on are very bottom shelf items. Whether someone wears a robe and they preach on Sunday mornings, or whether they wear a polo shirt, I just, we find that to be a a secondary issue. But gospel centrality, that's a top shelf, that's a primary issue for us. Listen, this isn't always black and white either, is it? I hope you get what I'm seeing here. It's a little bit difficult sometimes, but it should make sense to you where we are different as people on secondary issues versus primary issues. Because what Paul is leading Philippi to do right now is unify around primary issues and not to divide over secondary ones. In the church, though, we've gotten very good at dividing over secondary issues, very good at it. Some of our divisions, if I could just be frank, are stupid, they're dumb whether to vaccine or not, whether to homeschool or not, who to vote for, whether pews are better than chairs or chairs are better than pews, whether to wear a face mask outside or not, whether alcohol is okay for Christians or not, or how much, or spiritual gifts, or what kind of spiritual gifts, right? Whether you should have a nursery or whether everyone should be sitting in the sanctuary, What kind of Bible translation we're using? The second amendment. There's all kinds of things that we have found and for some reason we have placed them up on the top shelf. These are dumb areas to divide over. And listen, don't email me. I'm not saying your opinions are dumb or your convictions are dumb. I'm saying dividing with other Christians over these secondary items, that's dumb. That's dumb. Paul is addressing those who are tempted to throw jabs at each other over secondary issues as far as we can tell here and we do the same thing. We do the same thing today. might as well be written to the American church today. So let's look at how Paul works through this passage. This is in Philippians 1 verse 27, and he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, and we're gonna finish this here in just a second, but I want you to see the destruction is not happening in the church today because people hate each other, but because they love themselves too much. It's self-love more than hate that is destroying the community of God. This is how the enemy crushes community. This is what ruins a fellowship. Paul, as I said, might as well be speaking directly to us. Now we're gonna catch a little bit later that Paul is trying to broker a pretty heavy disagreement between two women that he's, he's gonna name by name. We don't really know what's going on in the struggle between these two ladies, but we know it's not getting solved, right? And the enemy loves it, and he's smiling over this, and he's feeding it, stoking the fires, he's nurturing it. And when we allow our heavy opinions and our convictions to a place where we say, my interests are better than your interests, or I'm not gonna have anything to do with your interests because I've got a ranking system and the closer your opinions are to my opinions, that will determine how much love I give you. If we do that, then the enemy wins. He looks over this and he smiles. The enemy loves it when we look to our own self-interests. We maximize ourselves, we minimize others, depending on how close their convictions and their opinions are to ours. That will destroy a fellowship. And listen, this passage is finding us at a very right moment now because we too can become Christians with a difference, in Lewis's words. And I gotta say, Paul has my firm attention here for two big reasons. I'm, I'm tempted to be a selfish, conceited, self-exalter, And then also the gospel is perfect for conceited (laughs) self-exalters. I'm both exposed by this passage and I'm remedied by this passage. I'm exposed by the gospel here and I am remedied by it here. I see my need and then I see God's answer right here. Listen, it's not that I don't see your needs, I just see mine bigger. It's it's not that I think that my self-interest is more primary than um, everybody else's. I just think it's more primary than yours. Unless your opinions and your convictions are just like mine, then it makes it easier for me to love you. And if you're honest, you're the same way. We all operate on this. So this is a word for all of us. The gospel, if anything, is a story. And this is what I love about it. It's a story about self-interest being laid down for people who are self-obsessed who only look to their own self-interests. The truly humble in Christ came for the conceited. The humility himself came for the vain. God came for us when we were wildly different from him in much more than just our opinions and our convictions. We were morally different than him, ethically different. We're not just different from God, we're wrong. He's totally righteous and we're totally unrighteous. We're self-obsessed and he is others-focused. And so he comes and he lives and he dies and he lives again for you and me. He prefers us at his own cost. This is what our unity is built on. This is what the church is built on. And when we break this unity from self-exaltation, the enemy wins, the enemy wins. And we have an audience when this happens too. You know, one of the things I've loved about Zoom um, whether I'm watching it in a news app um, of two other people talking or whether I am, myself am in a Zoom meeting, is if you look behind people, you can see how they live. And it tells you a little bit about people by how they live, right? What's hanging on their walls? What kind of books do they have on that bookshelf? You see their dog running in and out, kids jumping in and out of the frame, you know? It tell, you, you learn a little bit more about the people. You can learn who people are by seeing how they live, right? I mean, listen. I'm in my living room right now. It's early in the morning. Um, I know it looks like a studio. Don't be fooled, this is not a studio. (laughs) I've got a table right there There's a recliner I'm gonna be sitting in over there later on, right? This This is just a room. But if I were to spin that camera around, you would see it and you might learn a little bit about me by how I live. Listen, same thing for the church. Same thing for the church. When the world at large looks on and sees how we live back and forth, It learns a little bit about us and what makes us up and it makes a judgment on what we call our common denominator. This is why we see Jesus saying in John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, by this, the whole world is going to know that Jesus is real, the gospel is real, and the church is legit based on how you guys interact with each other especially in your opinions and your convictions. When does the world, by the way, see this heavy Christianity with a difference? Where does this show up? In other words, where are we dividing over non-essential items and it kind of mars that gospel image? I think the easiest answer for that is just our freedoms and how we exercise our freedoms and how we judge each other whenever we exercise our freedoms. For instance, alcohol and Christmas trees should not be separating Christians. Those are non-essential items, okay? If they are sitting on your top shelf, feel free to go ahead and grab them and move them to the bottom shelf. It's not essential, it's not a primary. As much as we think that it is, these are items of freedom or what I would call conchable items, right? Along with whether you call it Easter or Resurrection Day, right? or, or how you build your Sabbath, or whether you eat pork, or moon pies, or are a vegan. These are conchable items. These are freedoms that you have. This is how Paul speaks to it in Romans. He's very, very focused on this, and he says this. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. By the way, side note, this does not mean that vegetarians or vegans have weak faith. That is not what he's talking about right here. It's a different context, it's a different sermon, so I'm gonna move on. Verse three let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for god has welcomed him who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the lord is able to make him stand one person esteems one day is better than another while another esteems all days alike each should be fully convinced in his own mind. So whenever we make these non-essential or conchable items of freedom division issues, the enemy wins. The church cracks and the world sees it all. Friends, I've lost count over how many times I've seen this just in the last few years. It's ridiculous. I think the world has lost count too, to be totally honest with you. But just besides our freedoms and how we've found a way to divide over our freedoms another one is opinions and convictions we carry those right uh, traditions liturgy how we worship those are also not all gospel level issues right how we take communion how, like the mode of it some denominations or beliefs or churches that are even non-denominational they'll pull a little piece off of one common bread and they've got a theology for that right now we're kind of restricted whenever we do get back together to the little ripping sips you pull the top off you shoot the little shot glass of juice and you've got a little cracker there i just don't think jesus really cares at at this point which one we are doing i think that is not a top shelf item what baptism looks like as far as are we doing it in a pool in a river a horse trough vaccines homeschooling those are my favorite right These might be heavy convictions that you have, that you grew up with. They might be heavy in opinions, but they should not drive a wedge into unity. They're not primary issues. I mean, I just want you to consider how our convictions and our opinions and our traditions travel by just where we live even. They're not even, they they don't move across time and across time zones very well, do they? The way we worship here in East Tennessee is not the way that they worship God in Asia, right? Whenever we first moved here, I'll never forget how how awkward this was. When we first moved here, my wife decided she would carry a little bit of West Texas into East Tennessee. And one of the traditions we had on Easter in West Texas is you'd take an egg and drain it from all the egg and you'd stuff it full of confetti. And then on Easter you come up behind people and crack the egg over their head and confetti would go everywhere and it's hilarious, right? Everyone's laughing. Everybody's walking around with eggs and they're cracking them on heads. It's fun. You just look forward to it every year. Well, turns out not such a big deal in East Tennessee. So one of our first Easter's, everybody just saw my wife walking around cracking eggs on people's heads, wondering what is going on. And that's just one small tradition, right? It, it, it gets bigger whenever you get up to bigger traditions and opinions and convictions. Opinions vary by family, convictions, they vary by upbringing. Honestly, what I'm most concerned about in this season for you and me and for the church are the opinions and the convictions over how the church, capital C, how the church should be interacting with authority, governors, the people, health precautions, when and where to gather, how to gather, uh, that, is, that is becoming a big concern. I mean, can we just be frank for a minute? These are convictions and these are opinions, yet they have somehow become top shelf gospel items placed on the very same shelf as the gospel. Why are we doing this exactly? Some of us are not enthused about wearing masks. Got it. Some of us, you've got 10 of them laying around and you just, you don't even check the mail without a mask on. Sure. Got it. Some of us are upset that people are meeting in parks. Some of us are mad that those people are mad. Okay. Some of us are not comfortable in groups over 10. Some of us can't figure out why that's even an issue. Got it. A lot of people don't think that the church is militant enough in the face of governing authority. Some people think that the church needs to be more tender. Got it. It's almost getting to where you cannot voice an opinion or a conviction without immediately being divided away and put in a separate box or a category. This is not healthy. Friends, listen, this is not healthy. The enemy loves what is going on, loves what this pandemic is doing to fracture the family of God, loves it. This is why Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. You know, he was always instructing Timothy to focus on the essentials, the primaries, to drive unity around what really, really matters. Friends, I'm excited about diversity in the church. As long as we maintain healthy doctrine and mission, as long as we stay on mission, enjoy Jesus, invest in each other and in the city, and that we just multiply disciples in all areas of life, that we focus and rally around healthy doctrine and healthy mission. I'm fine if you wear a mask all the way to Christmas. I'm also fine if you lick every doorknob between here and Johnson City. I'm fine with that, to have opinions. Voice your opinions if you want. Don't do it in a way that divides. Don't be divisive over it. Don't let your political party do this. Don't let your views on global warming or vaccines do this. Don't let what you're watching on Netflix do this. I know the temptation to comment on social media. I know you can't wait to write that thing and post that thing because they said that thing. Just go and read this passage first. <laughs> read first. Read Philippians 1 first before you do that. You know, just as a helpful, when it comes to convictions and opinions, a helpful little one-liner that a mentor taught me once is this, if it's in the Bible, it's true and it's binding for everybody. If it's not in the Bible, it might still be true but it cannot be binding on everybody. That's become a helpful little ruler that I've carried with me when it comes to looking at my convictions and opinions and those of others. So as we move through the end of this, how does a church, capital C, full of habitual, self-exalters, self-obsessed people find unity? I'll tell you what's not the answer. That's not by becoming uniform. Um, being uniform in consistency and opinion and conviction and traditions is not the same thing as unity. You can be diverse and have unity at the same time. I mean, just think of a marriage ceremony. I did one not too long ago, and it might've been the last wedding ceremony in the state of Tennessee before the lockdown happened for all I know, but I remember having, having a great looking couple in front of me, and I was talking about being one, man and wife becoming one, which is true, but they didn't become identical. Right? They maintained diversity, but they were the same. And so it goes as the church. I mean, me and my wife, listen, we disagree over some key issues, we do, but we're also about as unified as you're ever going to find in a couple. In, in the areas where we differ, I'll crack a joke, she can give it just as much as I can, I can give it, so she'll give it back, we laugh, we love, and we move on. Because why? Because we're unified, right? Listen, the church is to be one and many at the same time, united by the gospel, united in Christ, living out this gospel across many traditions in many languages, across many cultural boundaries with different kinds of music and different philosophies and different strategies with many differently gifted people. <laughs> That's what God built with this beautiful gospel. Which, by the way, by the way, is why denominations is not what Paul is throwing rocks at right now. He's not, he's not chastising or denominational breakdowns. He's not, for instance, there is a common mantra that started in the 80s and even in the 90s that it was denominations that were screwing everything up. And so that's why you'd see an uptick if you were to look on a graph in the 80s and the 90s of this thing that we've all come to know as a non-denominational church, right? Non-denominational churches decided that they were gonna cast off group belief and group philosophy and group traditions and group everything, and they were gonna develop their own. But that doesn't really change anything, does it? If you get rid of group tradition and group opinions, you just form your own, but you still have them. You're not a vacuum, right? Historically, denominations, they focused and they functioned not as a way to divide, but to, in a solid way, um, try to protect their traditions and their focus points across many diverse times and many diverse places. That was the intent. Now, now of course, denominations can be toxic, right? We've seen that, just like anything else. But denominations are not inherently evil any more than non-denominational churches are inherently noble. In fact, I've spent more time in the non-denominational church than I have in a denominational church. I can't tell any difference between the toxicity from one to the other. And let me tell you why. Because they've both got people in it, right? They've both got people. So we have this problem. And Paul is going to give us an answer to this problem in verse 5. So we're going to go back to our text and see it. This is chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to start there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Okay, I'll tell you one of my favorite parts about this passage of Jesus descending and releasing what he had in the fellowship of God is that he actually paints a picture for us um, by doing it by shedding off his robe in his last week and kneeling down and putting a towel around him and washing the grody feet of all of the self-obsessed vain disciples around him. He showed us a picture of this, of what he's done on a grand scale. He shrinks down and shows us in a brief moment, in a very tender moment. I mean the disciples by this point, friends, they weren't really looking for the self-interest of each other, they were looking to their own. There's passage after passage that proves that out. And when he is done washing their feet, he says in John 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you were right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also ought, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Big picture, the gospel, is that Jesus does not just descend to wash the grody mess off of feet, but off of soles. Right? That's what Philippians is speaking to. It would be an others focused Christ who would come and he would do others focused living and he would die a death that was focused on others and he would build a church in doing so that would be focused on the, self, on the interest of others, a unified church. You see, when Jesus descends, as we read that in, in uh, Philippians, Jesus is restricting his attributes. This would be good for you to know. He restricts his attributes, his powers. Indeed, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he restricts them, but he doesn't give them up. He doesn't diminish his deity. He stays full God. He is fully man and he is fully God, but he is restricting his independent exercise of all of these attributes and these powers as they pertain to his walk on earth. So, for instance, he would choose not to exercise these powers whenever it um, interacted with ordinary human limitations. So if he was gonna go on a long walk with the disciples, let's say it's like a 12 mile walk, and they were just kind of getting ready for it, maybe lamenting that it was gonna take so long to take this walk, Jesus wouldn't in that moment say, you know what, I can relocate, so I'm just gonna snap my fingers, you guys will find me in the next town, I'll see you in a few hours. He wouldn't do that. And, and, And as easy as it would be for Jesus to be in two places at once, he can get twice as much done, he didn't do that. Christ would descend and he would release to the point where he would feel all of our finite edges. He would experience our long walks. He would experience hunger. He would feel pain, but that wasn't enough. Then he would stoop to take our form, and he would stoop to serve our form, and then he would stoop to be abused by us whom he came to serve while he was on the cross. I want you to contrast this with Adam who considered equality with God something to be grabbed. He he did the opposite. He was the anti-Jesus in this moment. He would consider equality with something to be grabbed at, and he would grab it with both hands. Adam would try to be like God by grasping. Christ, who was God, would become like man by releasing. And this would build a people, you and me, that we would be others preoccupied. That's why he says you also ought to wash one another's feet. So how do we live in light of good news like this? I mean, very simply, there's really not a how-to. Like I said, we're free to disagree. You're free to disagree with me, and we're free to be united at the same time, right? When others have different convictions and opinions on secondary matters, feel free to build with them. Because God, who is wildly different from you in more than just opinions and convictions, came to be unified with you. Be different in your thoughts, in your traditions, in your liturgies, in your opinions. Be different on how you look at global warming. Be different in how you look at being vegan. Be different, just don't divide over it. Don't divide, be diverse, but don't be divided. Don't take a shot on social media. Please don't do that. It's not the time for that. Be one. You don't have to be identical, but be one. Put the primary items on the top shelf and move the secondary items to the second shelf and let's keep them in the right order. The gospel doesn't require us to leave our opinions at the door, what your thoughts are on the stock market or vaccines. We don't have to leave those and just be robots with everybody but it does lead us the gospel does lead us to take all of our non-gospel issues and place them below the gospel so that what God has done for us becomes the single common denominator and then this is what the end's going to look like and this is what i love about verses 9 through 11 it says therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, listen, there's going to be a day where divisions are going to end. There's going to be a day where unity will reign. Our new family is not going to have any divisions. Our new traditions, they're going to replace our old ones or improve our old ones. Our self-obsession and our vanity is going to be eclipsed by the glory of God that is before us. And the thief that used to steal and kill and destroy will no longer prowl, will no longer devour, will no longer bring shame or temptation. It will be this day of taking a very deep breath, the breath of peace. But until that day, we have the church to model this before the world. And as we walk in this way, the world will see that Jesus is real and his work is effective and the church that he built is beautiful. Amen. Let me pray for you. And before I do, I just want to remind you, as I do every week, how much I love you, how much we as a leadership team love you and are praying for you. And if you need anything, the front page of our website could lead you in any direction. Any kind of help you need, we have routing to help us get in touch with you and help you get in touch with us where we can find out what you need, what you need most, and how we can be helpful. So be sure to visit the, the front page of our website, legacynoxville.com. And let me just pray for you as we end this time together. Father, we thank you for being good and kind to us. We thank you for loving us, even though we are so different, so vitally different in every way, not just in opinions. It's not just our opinions that are different from yours. We are totally wrong. Um, But God, you have mercy. You don't give us what we deserve. And you give us unity with you, which is something we, we don't deserve. And when you do that, you've tied us together. Your great glorious work leads us to repent of looking at our own self-interest, judging others, being critical, and dividing. And so Father, we pray that in this time, your gospel would remind us of how we are to interact with others with different opinions and traditions and freedoms. Father, that we can be unified and not uniform. Father, that we can be distinct in one at the same time, that we don't have to be identical, but at the same time, you are calling us to have one heart and one mind in one direction. So Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us in this. We all have our areas to wrestle with. We all have our items to move from one shelf to the other. And we just pray that in this day, we would do so to your glory and for our good. And Father, we celebrate the day coming that there will be every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, There will be no diversity in the fact that we are all doing the same thing in that moment. And Father, for those who are listening and they are not connected to you, they are not united in you, they are not interwoven in you, they are not Christians, Lord, that you would change their hearts, that you would regenerate their hearts, show them grace in such an unmistakable and clear way that they respond and that they call you Lord and that they join this new family that you have built. So Father, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I love you. Have a great week. We'll be in touch with you soon. Have a great day.